the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report, where we give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture, and certainly the culture is ever-changing. And we're doing our best to provide information and guests and conversations that will help you to navigate this culture. Uh, We're living at a strange moment in time where so much is changing, and there are areas where things are changing very, very quickly, but because of other things that are happening, we're not able to focus on them. Uh, There is a concept that's being pushed forward in um, a very aggressive way right now that many of us aren't even aware of. It's this concept, this idea of critical race theory. And uh, if you are <laughs> like me, uh, you're not as familiar with critical race theory as you should be. This is something that applies to all of us, whether we know it or not. It's something that impacts us all, whether we know it or not. Uh, but when you even hear a phrase like critical race theory, uh, if, again, you're like me, you may just push it off and say that's for someone else to deal with. Uh, What we're seeing in the news is so much about uh, persecution, racial persecution in the United States and classes being uh, pitted one against the other. We're seeing so much happen in this regard right now in America uh, that many of us thought we would never see in the United States. We talk about equality and what it means to be equal. We talk about opportunity. We talk about all of these things as Americans, and now we're seeing many of those structures being torn apart. And so it is important for us to have conversations like this one to get the information we need to navigate an ever-changing culture. And I'm excited to be able to be here today with you, with Chad Robichaux, and with our special guest who's going to help deconstruct some of this for us, Dr. Jacob Daniel. Jacob is someone um, I've gotten to know over the last several months and uh, appreciate his ministry and his work. He is the founder of the Heritage Council at Biola University, has a theology degree from Oxford University, and his PhD is from Biola University. Uh, Speaks on a a number of things, uh, primarily on culture and transformation, faith in the public square, cultural apologetics, and theology and missions in the 21st century. Um, So thankful to have you on with us, Jacob. And uh, man, just appreciate your work. You you describe yourself, and you and I have talked about this a little bit, as a missionary to Western culture. So we're going to talk about critical race theory, but before we jump right into that, can you can you kind of help us to understand what that means? You as a missionary to Western culture, what does that mean and where did that come from, that, that uh, heart desire for you? Thanks, Jeremy. First of all, thank you so much for having me on this show. Yes, I really appreciate it. It's an honor. Um, so as you mentioned, um, I'm I, I see myself as a missionary to the West because of uh, the way God orchestrated my life and ministry and the calling that he had on me. Uh, he basically exposed me to different cultures over the past 15 years. I've traveled quite a bit, seen a different cultural context in, in which uh, I've seen God working. Uh, but uh, I realized one thing, there is much that God has invested 
And this is, uh, this is not just a coincidence or an accident, but in the Western civilization as well. And here in the West, uh, I'm seeing that a lot of people are taking a lot of good for granted. Um, and where I come from, I've seen uh, uh, how ideas work out. And here in the West, we, as I said, God has invested some really good ideas that has brought about human flourishing. At the same time, have created, have done groundwork in terms of uh, bringing in the gospel and letting it inform all our public behavior. So the part of ministry that I have is God has called me to the West to help people here understand what is it that God has invested in them, uh, that they may be able to do proper cultural exegesis, try and understand where we are um, at this moment in our culture and how we can engage with it. So with our ministry, Heritage Council, um, we help the church do proper cultural exegesis. Mm. Yeah, so many people in our country take so much for granted. And, uh, and I, I, I certainly appreciate you doing that. Um, I think so many churches are like, we need to, people from the West need to go out and do ministry abroad. <laughs> but I think there's so many lessons we can learn from people coming from abroad and really speaking the culture and life uh, to the Western culture that right. we just live in a bubble. Uh, so one of the things you, that you speak on is is the idea of critical race theory or, or what uh, a critical race theory, but most of us have no idea what it is. Or can you help us get a basic grasp of what critical race theory is? Sure. Yeah. Um, critical race theory is an offshoot of critical theory, um, particularly the critical legal studies. Uh, the way to understand this would be uh, to imagine train with an engine and wagon at the back. So. Uh, the engine is the critical theory that drives the wagon of uh, critical race theory, critical gender theory. So before defining critical race theory, it is important that we actually get a kind of sketch of its origin and foundation. And this is very important. Um, so critical theory originated uh, out of this kind of um, uh, certain ideas of disenchantment of the world of any meaning, purpose, or transcendence. Uh, and uh, and when we lost objective meaning and purpose, uh, all that we were left with was to invent techniques to face the brute realities and facts of life. And critical theory is one of those techniques to dismantle the um, uh, dis dismantle objective values and replace them with competing narratives, mm. uh, purely based on li lived experiences of people. Uh, uh, and it has its root uh, in Marxism which was again an attempt to address the economic injustice, injustices and provide a competing narrative. Um, however, if we see during World War I and World War II, uh, people realized that the workers' revolution didn't happen. Uh, and they started questioning as to why it didn't happen. And then came along an important name to remember, Antonio Gramsci, who was an Italian communist, who argued that the revolution failed to happen because of the higher class or the bourgeoisie uh, worldview that had infl infiltrated the lower classes and they had bought into their lies that kept them oppressed. Uh. He called this hegemony. And he argued that the solution wasn't creating counter hegemony, an alternative worldview that would raise the consciousness of people, the working class, that they would realize that they are being oppressed. And then came along the neo-Marxist who mm. came out of the Frankfurt School and they argued that the solution was not found in economic conflict, but it was found in the conflicts of worldviews and values. And this gave birth to the movement called New Left. And what we are seeing with critical race theory today is a product of that. And another name that uh, we should be actually 
keeping in mind is Herbert Marcuse, who was one of the Frankfurt School academics who came up with a new dimension to critical theory, which was the umbrella theory. Um, so during the riots of 1960s here in America, he realized that the new revolutionary base was not the working class, but the exploited and persecuted people of other races and other color. So the locus of revolution shifted from worker to identity groups on the basis of race. Um, So according to this view, reality exists within a certain power dynamics, and therefore all efforts are aimed at asserting power to control culture. Uh, And I would say uh, uh, CRT, which is critical race theory, is basically Marxism morphed into a different form. It is a marriage between socialist Marxist view of class war and interest of minority groups seeking liberation through power. And that's important to remember, liberation through power. So under CRT, the idea is to unweave or deconstruct cultural certainties like institutions, structures, and ideologies uh, that they claim have protected the dominant social group in the Western society for centuries uh, centuries at the expense of minorities. Uh, So CRT proponents would argue that if you participate in in a system or an institution or an ideology uh, and you gain gain any privilege out of it, then you are racist oppressor. Uh, And the the thing is that, and the CRT is that the definition of oppression is a moving target. It is not static. Uh, For example, it's not limited to harboring racist thoughts and actions, uh, but you also have to have access to power And that's another important term to remember, access to power, to implement uh, uh, them. So so people of color or uh, people of, uh, you know, minority groups, uh, they are not known to be racist because they don't participate in this power structure that the dominant group does. And uh, then, you know, there's there's another hallmark to CRT, which is intersectionality that makes this theory even more complex. So basically the idea is that you belong to a system that is created uh, to benefit the dominant group. And when you actually participate in that, you become uh, inherently oppressors. And you actually, so the world is divided between the oppressor and the oppressed. It's a binary system. Uh, There's nothing in between. Man, there's so much there. You, you talk about intersectionality, which is another you know word that we hear. And um, I was actually talking to my kids last night about this conversation. We we're getting ready to have this conversation. And so I was doing my best to muddle through some of these definitions. Um, but can you talk about intersectionality and how that connects to critical race theory? Because these are things on the news this morning, I, I mean, today, I heard that uh, many teachers in the San Diego City of San Diego City School District are being required to go through critical race training, and this was on the news this morning. Um, these things are happening around us, and one of the things that they have to do is, is sign some kind of a document that admits that they have been part of the oppressor class. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's crazy. Um, so what is intersectionality, and how does that connect to this idea of critical race theory? Yeah, um, the word intersectionality was coined by a uh, Colombian uh, a professor at Columbia, um, Professor Kimberly Crenshaw, in 1989. Now, as I said earlier, uh, because everything is about power, 
then what we need to do is map out where power exists and where it doesn't exist. Uh, so if we are going to build, rebuild and restructure society, then we need to know where the power structures are. Hmm. So intersectionality, also called uh, anti-essentialism, uh, is basically a framework for conceptualizing or mapping a person, a group of people or social problem as affected by number of discriminations and disadvantages. Uh, so, so it takes into account people's overlapping identities, loyalties and allegiances and experiences. And that term experiences is important because every experience is subjective right. in order to understand the complexity of prejudices they face. In other words, uh, uh, intersectionality theory asserts that all oppression is connected and people are often disadvantaged by multiple sources of oppression. It could be their race, uh, the class they belong to, the gender identity they have, sexual orientation they have, religion, or any other identity markers. Um, so no person has a single or unitary identity. Uh, and the thing, the thing with uh, inter intersectionality and critical theory is that uh, there is some truth to it that there are many factors around us that actually define who we are or sure. give us some sort of identity. Uh, but I'm sure we'll be discussing the danger that is there in seeing that they are in conflict with each other. So, so the thing is that you can be an oppressed, uh, you can be oppressed in one category or be an oppressor in another. Uh, the more categories of victim here you can demonstrate, the more moral authority you have and more right to speak. Wow. Uh, however, if you see in critical theory, moral authority is a zero-sum game. Always it always moves from the oppressor to the oppressed. Uh, for example, whites uh, uh, lose moral authority to blacks simply because they are assumed oppressed, because they are part of this system, the collective that is dominant and has more power. So it's, it's, it's basically a shift of power from one group to the other. It's, it's kind of like a vicious circle. Yeah. That's why if you see a critical theory, it's good at deconstruction, but not as good in reconstruction. Right. If you ask anyone, what is it that you are constructing? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much sure that there wouldn't be a, a precise answer for that. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide, with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs, offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org. To learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women, to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is MightyOaksPrograms.org. Wow. So dangerous, so dangerous. Uh, so, I mean, this is obviously, it's sold 
as a desire for equality, which is a, such a falsehood. Um, and you mentioned that some of the roots come from places like Mark, Marxism, uh, communism, probably radical feminism. Well, yeah. Who's, I mean, I hear this and I'm like, every time I, I get caught on one of these subjects, my question always was back to who's the orchestrator, who's pulling the strings, yeah. who's driving this, who's behind the scenes actually pushing this and what's their agenda, what's the end game? Yeah. Um, so Chad, great question. And I think we can divide world into two sections. One is, and Paul in Book of Romans reminds us of this, that there are people who actually orient their life towards God. And there is one that orient towards the creation itself. So ultimately, it's, uh, it's a battle between the, uh, the idea, that biblical idea of uh, duality between the creator uh, and, and the creation, the distinction that is there. And then there is this one idea of oneism, this idea of every, the reality is one. And somehow we are in control to manage our own lives. So even with critical theory, we see that we have lost uh, transcendence. We have lost ultimate meaning or objective reality. Uh, and, and in doing so, what has happened is that now we feel that we are in control. So, so people who are pushing this have a worldview. And this worldview is that, uh, and a, a lot of Christians are taking this up without investigating. They're being very naive, not wanting, not knowing exactly the consequences that these, this idea can have. So what happens is that that's why if you talk to uh, someone who holds to a pantheistic worldview or even a Unitarian worldview, uh, they would agree with uh, critical theory because ultimately it leads to this collective existence or utopian existence where we think that we will be in power mm. to bring in flourishing at the end. So uh, um, I don't know how much time you have, but I would love to actually discuss why CRT is a problematic. Yeah, please uh, do. Yeah, please, please. Uh, there are many things I can point to. and Let me try as much as I can. Um, first of all, it idealizes human nature. Uh, we are corrupted by society. We are born as blank slate. We are corrupted by society. Mm. And we can be actually restructured or corrected by restructuring the society itself, the social system. <laughs> there is no regard for sin in human nature. Uh, the other thing that we see in critical theory and also critical race theory is that all knowledge is considered as being subjective. So knowledge and language uh, has no objective basis. Words have no objective meaning for the collective. All that matters is lived experiences of people. Uh, and the thing is that then we have to discard all statistics, all facts, all verifiable data. Right. And uh, because they are fundamentally oppressive. Yeah. They don't take into consideration individual subjective experiences. And we need to know also this, that CRT is a present-centered theory. Uh, it doesn't like to be analyzed because it's all about uh, demanding moral urgency. That's why if you see recently what we've seen is that everyone is just running after uh, uh, destroying the monuments. Let's do it now. Right, we, can't wait. Right. we can't have a dialogue. Let's cancel out people immediately. There is no time to actually engage with right. ideas. Right. So it calls for some sort of moral urgency. Um, and as I said earlier, there's no regard for transcendence. Uh, uh, no regard for revealed value. Reality is considered as co uh, uh, constructive. We construct reality. Uh, and in doing so, objectivity is lost. And we have to pick arbitrarily a source of meaning and purpose for ourselves. 
uh, and, and what it does is that it leads to Gnosticism, a very old idea. That is the subjective experience of oppressed people is the only truth that exists. Mm. And therefore the wow. dominant people who participate in dominant group can't have access to truth. Only those who are oppressed would have because it is based on lived experiences of people. And Wadi Bokum, whom uh, we should all listen to, he calls this ethnic Gnosticism. Mm. Uh, and in doing so, what happens is that in the society, the virtuous elements, uh, we, we lose out those elements. For example, politeness, hard work, self-reliance, logic, planning, and family cohesion. These all become questionable because they are framed within a system that is predominantly oppressive. That's the claim that they make. Uh, as I mentioned, they are strong in deconstruction, but not as strong in construction. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, it leads to identity politics a kind of tribalism. Social group identities supersedes individual concerns, right? It, it becomes a binary system of oppressors and oppressed. Right. And thereby we create uh, grievance groups like uh, groups um, of people of color, men against women, Christians versus other religions. Even Christianity see, is seen as oppressive because if you belong to a dominant group, a Christian group, you would be seen as oppressive of other religious group. That's why evangelism is a danger. They would say that evangelism is a form of oppressing people of other religions. So it promotes, uh, uh, you know, estrangement rather than friendship, hostility rather than goodwill. And one thing I want to mention as, as someone from another cultural context, I always say that the West has become more Hindu or more, more Eastern. Mm. Why do I say so? And this critical theory has contributed a lot towards that. Because um, it has helped people to foster a shift from truth, error, and right and wrong culture to an mm. honor and shame culture. So ideas don't have objective meaning. So what happens is that we don't engage with people at the level of ideas. We engage with people at the level of individuals. So what happens is that when you bring in an idea and, and if I feel that I'm threat, threatened uh, by those ideas, it's not the idea that I attack. I attack the individual because what you've done is that you have attacked my honor. And when you do that, I shame you. Right. And one of the, category, one of the uh, characteristics of a collective society is that when someone brings shame to the collective, you excommunicate them. And therefore, we have this cancel culture that we have here in the West today. And at the end, I would say that it's a performance-driven theory. You know, uh, oppression equals sin. And salvation happens only if you get woke. Uh, you get aware of your racist tendencies and you get in agreement with the oppressed. So this is what I would say. And I, I'm quoting um, Garrett Dawson here. Who, who puts it really well. He says that critical theory offers a shallow view of history, a serious truncated view of human identity, an inaccurately adversarial view of human relationships. It is founded on the one hand with a fallaciously optimistic view of human nature that we can create utopia. And on the other hand, a tedious narrow view of human motivation that we live for power. And therefore, I, I would say, it is a dangerous theory. On its face, this seems like something that 
Christians should reject. Um, that should be our response. However, as you mentioned, many Christians have accepted it. Uh, help us to understand these ideas biblically, um, but even the idea of equality. You, you articulate equality from a biblical position so well. Uh, give us a biblical perspective on this. How should we think about these things biblically? Uh, great question, Jeremy. Uh, and I appreciate that you're asking this question because it is necessary that in our society, we need to actually have a pure definition or clear definition of what equality is. So from a biblical perspective, when we talk about equality, we need to consider this that uh, when we say we all are created equal, doesn't mean that we all are equal. Right. Uh, so when we are created equal, we are created equal in our intrinsic worth because we have the image of God on us. So regardless of you are from the other continent, whatever continent or nation you are or culture you are from, everyone has intrinsic worth. But when it comes to potentiality and capacity, we may have different capacities. And the beauty of Christian faith and the definition that it offers is that God gives us the freedom to be equal in our potentialities and capacities as, as well through the vehicle of creativity. And that needs to be promoted as well because God is creative, so are we. And that can only happen in a society that understands that uh, even this idea of equality is basically, uh, it, it is founded on this fact that we all have the image of God on us. Yes. Now, this idea is a revelation. It's not a self-evident idea, as the founders of America said. It was self-evident only for those who understood the, the authenticity right. and the authority of the scripture right. uh, where this idea was coming from. So, so we, it is important and necessary to know that we can't push this idea of equity, uh, equality of the outcome, when we don't have equality of potentiality yes. behind it. But, but having said that, dignity is not dependent on the exercise of potential because we all have intrinsic worth. And that should be our fundamental or the foundation of everything that we do. Now, as Christians, we need to understand this. First of all, when it comes to critical theory, this is what I tell believers. First of all, we need to be careful that we don't buy into this idea that this world is disenchanted. No, this world has meaning. We live in a world established according to God's order and our hearts long for this order in our own lives. And when we don't orient or look for solution from God, then we tend to actually find solution by our own self. Right. And as Christians, we must be in the forefront fighting racial injustices wherever and whenever it is found. Uh, we have to have the good foundation that the scripture offers. Now, racism is a sin because it violates God's command regarding impartiality in judgment and love for neighbors. Um, we read in Leviticus uh, 19.15, which states that you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or differ to the great. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Yeah. Right. And also judging people on the basis of demographic marker. Uh, is a sin. We shouldn't be doing that. We can't judge people on the basis of where and how they were born. We are guilt. We, we are not guilty and cannot re repent for sins we have not committed. Right. And we can't actually impose judgment on a people who don't recognize or don't, who don't um, believe that they have sinned. And scripturally, that will be a sin in itself. Um, however, we cannot do this by adopting a, a projected 
uh, a, a project predicated on a rejection of biblical worldview. And I think critical theory does that. It is predicated on a rejection of biblical okay. worldview. And someone, if it, uh, our audience should look up uh, Dr. Neil Shenby, who is an expert on this, and he puts it really well. He says that it's impossible to view our fun fundamental problem as our innate sinfulness and simultaneously to believe that we can achieve true liberation through political action or economic reform. It is impossible to accept the doctrine of scripture and to simultaneously reject the notion of objective truth. It is impossible to adhere to the doctrine of Imago Dei and to simultaneously hold that our most basic identity is self or socially created. We can't live in that place of confusion. That will only create more disorder, disharmony, not be, bring people together. The church cannot adopt CRT as an analytical tool as well, because that is one thing being pushed in the church today. Yeah. It can be a good analytical tool. And I would say that it matters for Christian what this tool is and what where it has its origin. Uh, when it undermines God's revelation and glorifies human nature, without any regard for sin and its impact on us, I don't think we should be adopting these as a tool. Um, uh, so what I say is that CRT is not extra biblical, that something we can accommodate. It is anti-biblical. Yeah. It claims ethnicity has its own sort soteriology, the, the theology of salvation, and makes it own hamateology, the theology of sin, which is contrary to scripture. So what I would say is that Let's take heed from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15, which says that the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Yeah. And this is the moment that we should, be in the, uh, uh, we should be prepared to understand, learn as much as we can about CRT, uh, discuss with people. That's one thing we should be doing, is engaging with people on this issue, not keep silent, because this is really infiltrating the church, uh, the Christian institution, our homes. It's dividing people. It's separating, uh, it's creating more rift between relationships. But as people uh, call to reconcile, uh, people of reconciliation, our call is to bring people together. And that has to happen on the platform of civil dialogue that is, and engagement. That's awesome. So I would say, church, let's be wise. That's great. Jacob, thank you so much for that. Where can people who are listening or watching, um, get more information about you and, and the work that you're doing. You write and speak on this quite a bit and, and, and many other issues. Uh, where can people follow you? Yeah, uh, if someone is interested, you can look it up uh, on uh, internet. Our website is um, heritagecouncil.org. Council as in counseling, heritagecouncil.org. I'm also part of um, an initiative which is called Equal Justice. So you can subscribe to our channel on YouTube. There are a lot of resources available um, that uh, we have interviewed a lot of people on this particular topic because we've been engaging with institutions uh, uh, who are trying to understand what this theory is yeah. and how they can engage with it. So you can go on YouTube, look for our channel, Equal Justice, and you'll be finding a lot of resources there as well. That's wonderful. Dr. Jacob Daniel, thank you so much. A wonderful, wonderful conversation. Look forward to having you back on. Oh, it's, it's an honor. It's been my honor. Thank you so much, uh, Chad and Jeremy. Yes, sir. I look forward to being back again. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks for everything you're doing. Thank you. Clearly, there is much more that we need to know about this issue, and uh, so appreciate Dr. Daniel uh, helping break these things down. And, and we could spend hours talking about this. Certainly, there are seminars 
on this issue, books written, and uh, many, many resources that have been provided. I would encourage you, um, go and check out those resources that uh, Dr. Daniel talked to us about, the YouTube channel and the websites, and follow along and learn. Um, but I do want to sum up to the best of my ability. I want to give you today's situation report, uh, a breakdown of what we just heard. First of all, <laughs> uh, whether you want to or not, you must engage with this idea. You need to understand critical race theory and intersectionality. You need to understand how they impact our society because they are at every level of society. Uh, we are compassionate towards uh, certainly the issues of racism and, and many of these issues that we do care about and, and you know, Dr. Daniel even talked about this. We need to care about these issues. And critical race theory, these other theories, these other ideologies are being presented as the solution, but they're anything but the solution. Uh, they are good at deconstructing, and they're doing that not good at constructing. We have to understand how this impacts us, what it means. That's the first thing. Uh, we need to understand as well, and I think this point was made, and it was such a critical point, that critical race theory, intersectionality, these are not extra-biblical ideas. These are not ideas that uh, we in the church or in the faith community can partner with and use. In fact, as was said, they are anti-biblical ideas. They are completely contrary to the ideas that people of faith have long held. We have to see them in opposition or we'll try to work with something that will not work and again, will deconstruct what we've always believed to be true. The final thing is this, we need to view this and every issue in our lives from a biblical perspective. Now, I understand that not everyone listening to this would be a person of faith or a person who would necessarily uh, adhere to the principles of Scripture, the Bible. But we have to have a filter to run this idea and every idea in our lives through. We all hold a worldview, and it is a biblical worldview that is anchored in truth, that is eternal, it doesn't change and that allows us to clearly see how to be compassionate, how to uh, hold high the virtues of equality without tearing down what makes us truly equal as human beings. And I'm thankful for so many of these and other conversations around this, of course, but that's your summary. <laughs> that is your situation report. Go back, listen to it again, dive into these resources, and understand uh, what's at stake and how we can confront them in a faithful uh, prosperous, uh, helpful way. And I think that would be great. Thank you for listening. We look forward to talking to you next time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. 
Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.